Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show that harkens back to the good old days of radio when a show this bad would have never made it on the air. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the smoke-filled recording studio built here at my office in Concord, North Carolina. Hey, it's Thursday night, and on tonight's show, going to talk about processes of tobaccos. Tobaccos that are grown and then processed, and then we put them in the blends, talk about processes. My guest tonight, legendary pipe maker, uh, pipe tobacco importer, cigar manufacturer, Mike Butera. Got mailbag music, found some music specifically because I was reading the article on pipesmagazine.com on the Hollywood Pipe Smokers part of the pipe smoke issue found this i think it'll be fun thank you'll enjoy it uh mailbag and rant all that coming up in tonight's episode of the pipes magazine radio show just a reminder just a reminder only a few more thursday nights left yep just a few more thursday nights and then starting on july 1st we're switching to tuesday nights tuesday nights at 8 p.m eastern time so uh set your Set your alarm clocks, make a date for it, going to be on Tuesday nights. Uh, iTunes and all the podcast servers will pick it up just as soon as possible, so you'll have that to look forward to. Maybe it'll uh, make my week a little bit shorter, but give you a chance to relax sometime during the week. Um, I do want every pipe smoker out there, every one of you, now that the weather is nice in the northern hemisphere, Get outside, smoke your pipe, smoke out in public, be seen as pipe smokers. That's one of the best things that we can do to help improve the culture for pipe smokers. Be outside, be in front of people, smoke. Find places where you can smoke outside, sit back and fire up a bowl and enjoy it outdoors. Because, hey, the weather's great, summer is here, it's beach season, pool season, And it's also time to sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. 
Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Hi, this is Morgan Freeman, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Sams! Sams! Pull your pants up, son! Pull your pants up! And now back to more of the show. Welcome back. In uh, just a few minutes, Mike Butera will be on the phone. In the meantime, in Pipe Parts, I heard a discussion uh, earlier this week about types of tobaccos. And we all know that there's Virginia and Burleys and Orientals or the Turkish tobaccos are kind of a burly, and those are basically what makes up pipe tobaccos. Well, the discussion came into the types of tobaccos that we know of that are referred to as processed tobaccos instead of actual strains of leaf. The discussion was that Cavendish, Latakia, and Perique are actually more of a process done to a tobacco than they are a type of tobacco. Now, let me explain what happens. We'll kind of recap a little bit. Cavendishing is a style of steaming and heating the tobacco to kind of sweat out or speed age the impurities out of it, leaving behind a very sweet and sometimes very darkened tobacco. Cavendishing can be anywhere from a golden to a brown to a black. Black Cavendish is the most traditional tobacco that we see in aromatic blends. Black Cavendish is all over the place. It's in a ton of blends. Black Cavendish, with a little slight flavoring to it, can also be used as a seasoning or a condimental tobacco into a Virginia blend, just to help take a little bit of the edge off of it. But Cavendishing can be done to Virginia and Burley tobaccos. Predominantly Virginia leaf because it works so well for it, but you can Cavendish Burley. Uh, The other two, Latakia and Perique, are not purely a process. I'm going to go against the grain, uh, against this discussion, and tell you flat out they were wrong. Latakia, or as it's properly pronounced, Latakia, because it's named after the port town in Syria, Latakia is a process that is fire curing a specific type of oriental tobacco. It's more of a burly, it's a smaller leaf, it's a specific strain that works very well for it. The reason I know it's a specific strain is because there's a difference between Syrian Latakia, which I don't like, and Cyprian Latakia, which I don't like. Why? I don't like Latakias, so too bad. But there is a difference in quality between the two. There's a difference in taste between Cyprian and Syrian Latakia. If it were simply a process of a generic oriental tobacco, it wouldn't matter where you did the curing process. Same thing happens with my beloved, beloved Perique. Perique is a process, but 
in order to do it correctly, it has to be done with the proper burley that is grown in the area of the St. James Parish. That particular strain of tobacco is known as red burley. Red burley is what makes the best perique. Pressed into the barrels, they go through the whole routine with it. It's the it's the soil in that area where the tobacco is grown. It's the climate in that area where the tobacco is aged. It has to be that exact strain of tobacco from that particular area. There is some, or there was some uh, other kinds of tobaccos that were periqued. There's a Green River Burley that was periqued further up north along the Mississippi River. That tobacco's grown. That has to, that was tried in Perique. It's not quite the same because it doesn't have the specific genetics of the tobacco from that area, from the St. James Parish. Uh, the Green River, I do know, Cavendish is very well. It Cavendish is exceedingly well, and it's used in a lot of popular blends. However, Cavendish, again, primarily Virginia's. But there you go. There is a common misconception that Latakia or Latakia and Parikh are processes. They are not. They are a process on top of a specific regional grown type of burley. And anybody that tells you that they're not is full of it. They don't know what they're talking about. And this is not just my own opinion. It's actual fact. And when you talk to tobacco blenders from around the world, they will tell you, the differences in the Latakia from Cyprus and Syria and the differences in Perique from the Red Burley of St. James Parish to the Periques from around the world. All right, so there you go. A little, uh, little controversy in the tobacco world, a little explanation of stuff. And in just a minute, Mike Butera will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Satleft Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corn cob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. 
I am thrilled to have join us on the Pipes Magazine radio show. I don't know how else to really describe Mike, except Mike is probably the uh, the, the reigning godfather of American pipe makers. But Mike Butera, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yeah, nice to be here, Brian. All right, so tell everybody where did you grow up and how did you? When did you first get involved in uh, in pipes and cigars and pipe tobacco? And we'll we'll get through all that. But when did it first yeah, start well, for you? Okay, uh, I grew up here in Houston, Texas. Uh, my grandparents landed here in Galveston, Texas, and uh, downtown downtown Houston. I grew up uh, smoking. My parents smoked cigarettes. My dad smoked a pipe. And I think I bought my first pipe when I was about 15 years old. Uh, stole a few cigarettes from my mother's pack and my father's pack, probably 12, 13, just to see what it was like. But loved the pipe. Uh, I was introduced to pipes by a an older man that was smoking a K. Woody with Sir Walter Riley tobacco, uh, at my uncle's lumber yard. I worked for my uncle during the summer and uh, bought my first pipe at about 15 years old and loved it ever since. Cigars uh, as well. Was that first pipe, was that a K. Woody? Yes, it was a K. Woody. I bought the exact same pipe, a straight bulldog with a diamond shank on it. <laughs> and just so that we know how old you are, uh, what year would that have been? Oh, God, I don't know. I was probably 15 years old. I'm 65 now. I was born in 49, so 15 years after that. So uh, a few a few uh, decades ago. Yeah, 65, 1965 probably. Now, you went on and had a, uh, you had a regular career of, of, a, of a normal job, and then you got into the pipes and pipe making a little more passionately? Yeah, I uh, went to college, got a degree in mathematics, uh, a minor in philosophy, theology, and decided to go to work for an insurance company, believe it or not, selling insurance, because I couldn't get a job using mathematics unless I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> so, so the agency sent me on, to, on an interview, which I did not want to go on. I couldn't imagine myself after all that education... Uh, becoming an insurance salesman, but the man that interviewed me uh, at Lincoln National Life Insurance Company here in Houston, their agency here, he uh, was so great of an interviewer, and of course they were taking anybody they could get uh, to sell insurance, and I I wanted to work for him, so I wanted to go to work for the company, I wanted to go to work for him, and so I took the job, and you know, spent most of my career selling life insurance and health insurance and uh, even some uh, securities. Were you a good salesman? Yeah, I was one of the top salesmen. It took me a few years to to pick up on it. Uh, actually, uh, became one of the top salesmen uh, every year. Uh, moved into management as well, but maintained my sales. I wanted this. They wanted me to manage some. Uh, some of the, uh, they wanted to grow, hire some more uh, salesmen, but needed people to take them out and show them what to do. 
So they wanted me to be in management, but I wanted to sell as well because the money was made in sales, not management. So I agreed to do it, and they paid me a management salary, plus I got my commissions, and uh, I ended up hiring, I'd say I had 15 agents at one time working for me uh, in the agency. And uh, So you were, you were kind of busy. Oh, yeah. I was very, I loved it. I, I was just as much passionate about that as... Uh, I ever was about pipes, cigars. Uh, I even developed a few uh, sales techniques that the the company actually adopted. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And uh, anyway, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for a long time. When did you start making pipes? Well, I uh, I started making pipes probably in the 1985. Uh, I had a chance to meet a couple of pipe makers in Italy uh, as a result of because of my niece who had spent some time in Italy and she searched around for pipes for me and uh, got to meet some of these pipe makers and she was so excited about it when she came back told me her stories I wanted to go meet these guys too so uh, we she developed a contact there that could introduce me to some of the famous pipe makers over there and I went and I met them and saw what they did I, I wasn't interested in pipe making uh, at that time I was just interested in buying their pipes go ahead and so, uh, go ahead and name drop a few of these names for us well Carlos Gozzi with Costello and Baldo Baldi uh, both Italian Yeah. I had uh, what happened was is that she my niece was spent six months or so in Italy uh, studying interior design. And in this country, I had graduated to more of a high-end pipes, not necessarily the highest, but Costello's. I had a few Dunhills at the time uh, and a few Caminettos at the time and sent her some money and told her to look for Castell straight grains. I wanted the collection quality. We had heard of them in this country, but we'd never seen them. Uh, Tinderbox, uh, the most you could get out of them would be a Castell trademark, which would have been their second-line uh, smooth pipe. Yeah. But we heard of, again, the collection quality, which would have been their top-end smooth straight grains, but never saw them. So I asked her to try to find them, and she found a shop in Rome that did not distribute Costellos, but they had, they could get them, <laughs> and uh, convinced her that if I was interested, her uncle was interested in uh, smooth Costellos thread grains, that your uncle would also be interested in Baldo Baldi pipes, which were considered one of the finest pipes made in Italy at the time. So she brought a couple of those home with her. Uh, she got so excited about it, she wanted to meet them. She didn't meet Baldo Baldi, but the shop in Rome set up an appointment for her to meet with Carlos Scotti. So she went to the uh, Costello factory from Rome. She took her train to uh, Cantu, and he met with her and actually spent the whole day with her. Wow. And she brought back all kinds of little goodies for me, you know. Uh, but promotional items that he had that we've never seen over here. 
but one of the neatest things she brought back with me was uh, while he was showing her how they make pipes and carve pipes, the sea rocks, he took the pipe from the from the pipe maker there, stuck a stem in it, and signed it to me, Mr. Butera, Carlos Scotti. So I have a half-carved Castello Sea Rock from uh, Carlos Scotti. <laughs> and did you... Cool. You got to... So you did you get to go over to Italy and and meet these guys? Yes, yes. When she came back, she was she was so excited about it, meeting him and seeing everything they do, that it just bled into my heart. I had to go see him too. So I called this comp this uh, uh, pipe shop in Rome and talked to them. It was the Carmignani's Carmignani Pipe Shop, and talked to them. Uh, the Baldies that she brought back, I absolutely loved, so I ordered some more from them, and I would get maybe three or four months Baldo Baldy pipes from these guys, and between me and my friends, would always buy them up, and uh, talk to them one day about coming over, and could they introduce me to Carlos Scotti and Baldo Baldy, and they said, yeah, come on. So I went, met with them. Uh, they set up meetings with both. And the next day, I went to uh, Carlos Gotti's factory and met with him. He showed me his factory. Uh, we talked for maybe about a half a day. I spent with him, picked out a few pipes, watched him stamp them for me, <laughs> and uh, and left. The next day, I went to Genoa, which is where Baldo Baldi lives, and I spent three days with him and uh, bought a few pipes out of his personal collection, some of the stuff he kept for himself. At the, the last day, he took me to his factory, which is up just a little, small, little uh, factory with uh, up in the hills of, of Genoa. You know, I couldn't tell you where it is right now, but it was up. We had to drive on a road that only one car could sit on, you know. <laughs> if, there was, if there was another car coming down the road, you had to pull off on the side and let them pass. But in any event, he took me to his factory, and he took a block. Uh, he had a drill press. He had hand files, and he had sandpaper and a buffing wheel with some stain. And he made a pipe from start to finish in about two hours. Uh, wow. Yeah, drilling it on a drill press, and then no bandsaw, okay, with hand files and a big vise on a big bench. This guy took a rasp with big teeth on it and just floored me, just uh, cut that wood off as fast as I could do it on a bandsaw and shaped the pipe in a matter of minutes and finished it out, and I took that one with me as well, so... That's when I decided, when I watched him do this, that's when I knew I wanted to make pipes as well. That was the first time I thought about pipe making. But I didn't just think about it. When I saw him uh, create this pipe, I, I knew I had to do it. And uh, I actually bought 60 blocks of wood from him and brought it home with me and started trying to make pipes. So that's how I got started. <laughs> and there, there was really no internet and no, you know, nobody to, nobody in the states that you could really go learn that from. And no, but I, I have to tell you, I've always been good with my hands, with models. 
uh, growing up, building things with uh, different types of woods. So when I saw it and how he was doing it and how effortlessly he did it, I came home and bought a drill press and some hand files, built the bench, put a big vise on it, and some drill bits and went to work. Uh, it was amazing to see how quick he could make something out of a block of wood and a piece of plastic so fast and so beautiful. What I didn't know is how difficult it was going to be to make something that I liked equally or better than the pipes I was smoking. So, Where did you start selling your first pipes? There's a few shops in town that took a few. Mostly I would bring them in and uh, and sit there and wait for customers to come in, and if they liked something, they would buy it. But I did not have anyone who would take them, even on consignment, you know. It was just bring some pieces in, and when the customers come in, we'll take a look at them. So I sold a few that way. There was one shop that, uh, on my way to the first show I went to, which was in 85 as well, I think, uh, the Pipe Collectors International show. Um, I stopped at uh, Ben Henderson. Some of y'all might know him, Lone Star Tobacco here in town. Yeah. He's been around a while. He's been a part of the big uh, RTDA, and uh, he's a participant. In any event, he ran a shop here. He still does. I think his son runs it for him now. But... I brought these pipes that I was taking to the show, my first show, showed them to him, and he, he said, I'll take whatever you bring back. So that was pretty nice, you know, to know. Uh, so I went to the show with a couple of dozen pieces and came back with maybe eight pieces and met with him that night when I when I landed, and he invited me to his home. I went there, and he, he bought everything I had, so that's how it kind of got started. How much did your uh, did your pipes sell for then? Uh, I was selling them for uh, like seventy five dollars range, fifty to seventy five dollars. We're gonna take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about how much a Butera pipe costs today. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker, I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. 
All of my pipes come from MearshamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MearshamStore.com, the most trusted Mearsham store for 50 years. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Mike Butera. Mike, your first pipe sold for about $75, and that was uh, 29, 30 years ago. All right. What's the, what is the uh, retail price for a smooth Butera now? Well, I, I only leave them smooth if they are considered, or I consider it to be, collectible quality grain. I don't do a second line smooth with random grain. I, I would rather say it blasted or carved it. So smooth started about a thousand. Uh, most of them run about eighteen hundred. And you're uh, rusticated in sandblasts. Uh, the lowest is about six hundred, and they can go up to twelve hundred. All right. Now we'll go back. Uh, making your so you're still working full time. Doing the uh, doing the finance stuff and making no, pipes pipe no. part time. Okay, uh, not now, but yeah. at the time in '85, yes. When I got started, I was st- I was doing this pipe making on the weekends and at night. And then, how did it how did it grow from there? Well, um, I went to a few shows. The first show I went to, I won uh, an award that really gave me a lot of encouragement. I happened to win the best standard shape by a pipe maker at this particular show. And every time I went to shows, I continued to win a few awards, uh, got some notoriety, some people took notice, and wanted to distribute for me. Uh, Distributing through a retail network, wholesaler retail network, would have cut my prices too much. I wouldn't have made any money that way. And so that's when I met uh, Barry Levin. And Barry Levin had a mail-order business. He uh, bought and sold uh, estate pipes. He didn't have new pipes at the time, but he wanted one. So he and I made an arrangement uh, for him to distribute all of my pipes through his mail-order catalog. So I'd send him pipes uh, every month. He would photograph them, send his catalog out, and sell them that way. Then I also went to shows, and I sold my pipes at shows as well. How would you describe your style? Is it more of the classic Italian-English and less? I'd say that I I, I like standard standard shapes, the standard English styles, with an Italian flair. And my influence is definitely Italian uh, on on my shaping. A little more curves to the shanks, uh, a little different um, uh, design on straights. Uh, The shanks are a little different uh, on straights and bents. Even the bowls are a little different. The Italian billiard, for instance, compared to an English style or a Dunhill-type billiard, a little different shape, and I like standard shapes, so I started making standard shapes, and they just came out a certain way 
that is was a little different than standard English style shaping, and so I I attribute that to the Italian influence I had of buying Italian pipes. When you were learning and experimenting, did you have anybody here in the states that you could bounce ideas off of or ask questions of? No, uh, there wasn't anybody here. It was all it was all me. It took a few years for me to you know, get my pipes to the point where I enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed the Costellos or the Baldies or the other pipes I smoked from Europe. So it was just trial and error. I think I went through those first uh, 60 blocks from Baldy that year. Uh, I don't think I, uh, I... I didn't sell one of those. I didn't like them uh, well enough to put them on market. But I was buying Briar that year, and after about 60 attempts, I started making a few pipes that I liked and started showing them, went to the show. And like I said, I won Best Standard Shape the first <laughs> show I went to, so that was encouraging, you know? What do you think was the hardest thing for you to learn as a as a new pipe maker? Two things. There's two, two things that stopped me for the longest time. And it wasn't uh, drilling. I had that down. Uh, the basic function of a pipe was easy for me to do. Uh, shaping. I liked my shaping of pipes. What I had difficulty with was the smoking quality, how they tasted, and how they broke in. And number two, finishing. Finishing was a nightmare for me. I couldn't get. Uh, I couldn't get the finish I wanted. So. Those were the two most difficult parts of pipe making for me. What do you mean by the the finishing was hard for you to hard for you to get? The uh, when I started out, I, I just assumed it was a staining process and buffing wheels and then carnauba wax. But if that's all you do to a finish is put some stain on, then polish it off, and then polish it with wax. When you smoke that pipe or even handle it before you smoke it, the carnival wipes off or wears away pretty easily just from handling it. And the finishes were dull. Dull finishes that did not, after smoking them for a while, did not begin to acquire the patina I wanted or the color I wanted, the rich, deep color. They just got flat. The color was flat. And that took... Uh, several trips to Italy. Uh, they don't tell. They won't tell you what they're doing, but you can see what they're doing. They do it in front of you, but they won't tell you what they're using. But I figured that out by just observation and then coming home and experimenting. And that's that's kind of a trend that I've found uh, very similar with other pipe makers because when when you go into another pipe maker's shop, they have their secrets and they have their their processes that they may let you witness, but they're not going to take you all the way and give you all the answers. Yeah, I know that. And that's why I did not, I, I, I wasn't that way. Anybody that wanted to learn, they could come here and watch me and I'd tell them almost everything. A couple of things I, I kept secret for a while, but not, uh, not the basic shaping, drilling. I told, you know, I, I showed everybody how to do that and also the staining and finishing. Uh, smoking quality, that was 
has seemed like it's always been a process for me, something I, I still work on. I still think about how to make them even better than they are now. So it's an ongoing thing for me. Uh, but finishing, you know, it's a difficult thing, and I pretty much led anybody that any of the pipe makers that, that I, I worked with, uh, I uh, I led them in the proper direction, I think, at least in the direction I ended up with for finishing. How long before you became a full-time pipe maker? You know, I don't remember the exact, but it was about uh, six or seven years later uh, from 85, so whatever that is, uh, 1991. Wait, you're a math major and you can't add six or seven. Never mind. Right. No, I have to have a calculator. Oh. They let us use calculators in class, okay? I, <laughs> anyway, I, I thought maybe it was, it was Texas math. Yeah, well, okay, be careful there, Brian. Yes, be sir. careful. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, so six or seven years, I sold my insurance business because I wanted to do it full time. Barry Levin was selling out uh, of everything I sent him, uh, usually his first day of the mailer, which was a good thing because I got paid quick. And uh, so I wanted to do more. I wasn't making many pipes during the year because I was only doing it on weekends and at night, and I wanted to do it full time. So I sold my insurance business to another agent who I had brought into the business, and he was quite successful himself. And... uh, I quit, and I went full-time and quickly realized it was going to be difficult to make make enough pipes to make the same income I was making uh, selling insurance, but I was willing to do it. So I cut back my lifestyle so that I could enjoy life. It was just a passion for me. I wanted to do it. I had to do it, and I loved it. So uh, I quit insurance and made pipes full-time. And I know there's a lot of pipe smokers around the world that are really happy that you did. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I still, I don't make as many as I used to. I make just a few pipes a year, but uh, there, I have a back order list that's long enough to keep me, I guess, till I die. So, uh. <laughs> at the at the peak of your production, how many pipes do you think you were making a year? Uh, 200 to 250. So you were really pushing them out as fast and, and learning all uh, all along? Every day, all day. I loved it. I just, uh, I was obsessed with it. And I, I'm still obsessed to a degree uh, on different things that I want to improve upon. But yes, I was obsessed with it and I couldn't wait to get up every morning and get into the shop. We've got about three or four minutes left, but I'd like for you, if you can, uh, I never made it to, the first pipe show I went to was Richmond in 2000, so if you could just briefly describe what those original PCI shows were like and what some of the some of the first pipe shows were really like. Actually, a lot different than they are today. Today, the pipe shows seem to be, to me, to be more of a commercial event. You have a lot of retailers that... that take tables at shows today. Back then, you didn't have retailers. What you had, people that took tables and showed their products were collectors who wanted to show their collections and pipe makers who wanted to sell their 
and uh, there were awards given back then to collectors for their collections, whether it was the uh, a specific shape this person collected or specific brand. Uh, awards were given to the finest collections. Awards were given for the finest pipe of the show. Awards were given to pipe makers for best standard shape, best freehand, best pipe maker in the show. So there was a lot of awards given every year, and it was all collectors uh, and pipe makers. There wasn't uh, there wasn't a commercial aspect to it, except for pipe makers wanted to sell their wares. Was there a lot more trading of pipes amongst the collectors than uh, than a true buy oh, yeah. and sell? Absolutely. Uh, a collector would have his table, and there would be a section that was, uh, the sign would say, do not handle, and then the other section of his table would be all of his trading stock. And trading went on from, from morning till dawn, uh, <laughs> all day and all night. Uh, in and out of the show, and a lot of it was trading. Were there tobacco companies also there sampling, or was tobacco really not part of it yet? You know, I don't remember a lot of tobacco companies there. There may have been one or two, uh, maybe one retailer or two retailers. Uh, I can remember a um, a few distributors were there. But, of course, they weren't there to sell anything. They were just there to be noticed uh, because they didn't sell direct to the public. Uh, so I think Sir Jacopo, that distributor, uh, I forget their name. You know them. You know who they were, though. Uh, they were there. Uh, and what, what cities were these pipe shows in? Uh, gosh, I think the first one I went to was in Nashville. And it, it it moved around, and I can't tell you where they were. Nashville, St. Louis. So it kind of bounced around from year to year, it, and uh... yeah, it bounced around, but it, but it it came down to maybe four or five different cities uh, that they would trade off every year. And then the last question: What pipe makers that we know of have come to you, and that you've helped kind of launch their careers? Well, maybe some of you don't know, but uh, like Michael Fry, he isn't making pipes anymore, but he was pretty successful when he got started. Yeah. Jim Dupree, who passed away, he's he came to me. Uh, Premal Chada has been out, and or I've worked with him. Um, Larry Roush, uh, he's been out, and I've worked with him. Uh, and a few others. So that's why we call you the. Uh, that's why I'm calling you the Godfather of the American <laughs> pipe makers. Yeah, well, back then there were not very many of us, and so we we kind of watched out for each other. <laughs> I need a favor of you. I want to have yeah. you back on in a couple of weeks so that we can talk about the Butera Pipe Company and all the tobaccos and the cigars and all that. Will you come back? Sure. All right. We'll then we'll wrap this one up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. First thing that comes to your mind, everybody gets them. Are you ready? Okay, go. What's your favorite pipe? Of course, mine. Costello, otherwise. What's your favorite tobacco? Uh, Burley uh, or uh, Pelican. 
what's your favorite drink? Uh, lemonade. And when it's time to relax, and notice I am not including golf in this, do, okay. you, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Movie. Any particular Love genre? Uh, all of them, uh, except uh, the vampire stuff doesn't get me. But uh, drama, uh, docudramas, uh, even romance, uh, uh, comedy, I like them all, really. And finally... Any particularly favorite uh, pipe smoking memory? Uh, I guess the shows back there, the first few shows that I attended, some of the people that uh, are no longer around, uh, those create a lot of fond memories for me. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we will get you back on. We'll talk. We'll talk more about the uh, about the other side of your life, which created this big business. We'll be back with the show in just a minute. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit Sutliff-Tobacco.com. For information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and I will definitely try to get Mike back on because my list of questions that we touched on is maybe a, well, looks like about a third of what I wanted to ask him and talk to him about. 30 years of pipe making. It's a lot of experience there for an American pipe maker. All right, for music, uh, on PipesMagazine.com in the Pipe Smoke section, there was an article that talked about... uh, talked about Hollywood celebrities that smoked a pipe. And if you go on to PipesMagazine.com and read it, you'll see where Yule Brenner used to stop in a local smoke shop and uh, kind of tinker around in there for a while. So I thought I'd go find a piece of Yule Brenner from The King and I. The song is called A Puzzlement. When I was a boy World was dead as spot. What was so was so. What was not was not. 
Now I am a man. World have changed a lot. Something's nearly so. Others nearly not. There are times I almost think I am not sure of what I absolutely know. Very often find confusion in conclusion I concluded long ago. In my head are many facts that as a student I have studied to procure. In my head are many facts of which I wish I was more certain. I was sure. Is a puzzlement. Shall I join with other nations in alliance? If allies are weak, am I not best alone? If allies are strong with power to protect me, might they not protect me out of all I own? Is a danger to be trusting one another. One will seldom want to do what other wishes. But unless someday somebody trusts somebody, there'll be nothing left on earth excepting fishes. There are times I almost think nobody's sure of what he absolutely knows. Everybody find confusion in conclusion he concluded long ago. And it puzzles me to learn that though a man may be in doubt of what he knows, very quickly will he fight, he'll fight to prove that what he does not know is so. Sometimes I think that people going mad. Oh, sometimes I think that people not so bad. But no matter what I think, I must go living life as leader of my kingdom. I must go forth, be father to my children and husband to each wife, etc., etc., and so forth. If my Lord in heaven Buddha show the way. Every day I try to live another day. If my Lord in heaven Buddha show the way, every day I do my best for one more day. But is a puzzlement. Kevin, check me if I'm wrong, but I think that is the first show tune or a song from a musical that we've played on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, Yul Brenner was a regular pipe smoker. Transmission begins from Money Penny. In the mailbag regarding the fluffy pipe cleaners, got a bunch of responses. A uh, few of them are Aristotle's, says Brian asked for comments, and so I can offer my uses of both fluffy and tapered pipe cleaners. Simply put, I find them virtually useless for any of my briar pipes, but mandatory for thorough cleaning of Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipes, especially the stems. The larger bore of the stems make using the standard cleaner ineffective, and to some extent, the shanks can take the small end of the tapered style while using the larger end for the stem. Well, there you go. 
Uh, Angle C writes, I find you get used to them after a while, and when you do, it's hard to go back. Regular pipe cleaners seem bullshit now, like trying to sweep a chimney with a hand brush tied to a stick. <laughs> I, I like that. Trying to sweep a chimney with a hand brush tied to a stick. <laughs> Uh, D. Hizzy writes, I get aggravated with how the fluffy ones shed the material. The cheaper ones that aren't as fluffy don't give me this problem. Okay. And going on further, uh, Setter's Brace says, I agree with Aristokes in that they are indispensable for the uses he cited and also agree that the quality of the tapered and fluffy Longs brand leave a bit to be desired. I actually pull the loose bits off and nip off the now exposed wire before running them through my stems. Um, MSO 489 says, I just use the standard BJ Long pipe cleaners except for church wardens, which have their own longer ones. I had one pipe that just seemed to devour pipe cleaner fluff. It was a beautiful trim, sleek, one-quarter bent Dublin, but its airway was just too small and always grabbed fluff that was difficult to remove. I tried all sorts of maneuvers and pipe cleaner substitutes and finally regretfully gave up the pipe. It was no fun anymore. Okay, and Klaus agrees with Anglesey on the the pipe cleaner issue. Mr. Jerky wrote, in regards to last week's show, quality broadcast again, Brian Gina was enjoyable and nice to hear we share all the same passions, guitars, pipes, and beer. Keep them coming, see you in KC in a few weeks. And then he hashtagged a couple of things just to pound sign me a little crazy, but anyway. Uh, John Seiler says, hi Brian, about 24 hours late, but our friend Bill Kotick paid a visit last night, so we chatted and smoked our pipes. Oh well, Tuesday, Thursday, little difference to me, as long as the quality of the show remains the same high. However, I do have a uh, 6-meter net at 9 p.m. on Tuesday. Guess they will just have to wait. I'm not sure what that is, but I'm going to guess it's ham radio related. Uh, John says, I also use two pipe cleaners per per bowl. I always use dills by habit, of course. Don't try to use a normal-sized pipe cleaner on a church warden or magnum pipe. As a beginning guitarist, I like Gina's playing. Hope Hope I get that good someday. Got a banjo, too. I uh, haven't smoked a pipe while practicing yet. She sounds like a person on the doorstep of a great future and has her act together. I enjoyed the interview. Gina's music selection was excellent. She must be great to watch in person. The music sounds a bit Celtic to me. Damn, and with no lessons, I have enough trouble with six-string guitar, let alone 12-string, and a banjo does complement learning a guitar. I'm surprised she's not tried lane 1Q. Rant, I agree. Push a button and get there. Great show. It exceeded my expectations. Uh, Fuel Pump, Brian writes, Normally we do not hear you speechless. However, Gina left you so afflicted several times during the interview. I did not understand why until I heard her play. She is truly a gifted musician. For those of us that cannot play instruments, even with training, it is amazing to find a person who has that type of ability and is down-to-earth and interesting as Gina. Excellent show. And if you haven't checked out PipesMagazine.com yet, the Pipe Babe shoot with Gina is up. And maybe I was a little afflicted because I was listening to her and I'd seen the pictures in advance, so... That'll give you something to go over to the forums for. 
couple more here. Riff Raff wrote, what a show to follow Andre Segovia. Gina is an exceptional musician for not only being 22, but self-taught as well. She was a breath of fresh air. I watched her riding the blinds video on YouTube. She is quite the artist. I hope that she goes far. I second you on the rant about DVDs. I hate not being able to fast forward through all the BS before the actual movie. Another great show, gentlemen. And Setters Brace writes a refreshing interview with a talented young lady who obviously smokes her pipes for the right reason because she enjoys them. A great show and a great find as far as a guest goes. And last but not least, our friend Bob Bittner writes, It's nice to have a pipe babe that is a genuine pipe smoker, not just a temporary one for the sake of the photo shoot. But it's really great to have another female guest on the show. I hope it builds some interest for the women pipe smokers out there for a while. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. For a while, we had several who were active on the forums, but I can't remember the last time I saw a post from one of them. I hope we didn't somehow make them feel unwelcome. I don't think so, Bob. I think they might have gone back to maybe there's a women's only pipe smoking forum out there somewhere that we don't know about it's a secret because uh, you know women like to keep secrets from us anyway while you're uh, checking out the pipe babe shoot on uh, pipesmagazine.com read the article hollywood pipes from the pipe smoke section and my friend steve morissette's got a new fashion or style article that just went up this week so there's a lot to be poking around on there for And don't forget next week, yeah, is it next week already? Wow. Uh, Next week, I will be, uh, next week's show will be 100% pre-recorded because I will be in Kansas City or winging my way there. Come by the uh, Kansas City Pipe Show, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Argosy Casino in uh, North Kansas City. Come by and see me there. And uh, got a couple, uh, let let me let you in on a couple of guests that are coming up. Are you ready for this? Next week, Fred Hanna is coming back. We're going to talk about uh, more on his favorite uh, subject, vitamin N, and I'm going to pump him on the uh, brand versus Briar issue. Uh, Jim Amish, who most of you know is Jim Inks, going to be on the show. And, uh, yeah, I'll get Mike Butera back, so a lot of that going on. We're going to have a couple of pre-recorded interviews because of scheduling and because I've got a vacation coming up. Yeah, it's a foreign word to me. Vacation coming up the first week of, uh, last weekend of June, first week of July. I'll be on vacation and then starts the mad dash for preparations to the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association, or as Mike Butera called it, the RTDA, because that's what it used to be. Uh, so heading off to Vegas on July 17th. So I'm trying to stockpile some interviews so that we don't have any scheduling issues and get shows ready. And don't forget, of course, we're going to be on Tuesday nights now, Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, if you haven't had a chance, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. If you want to see a picture of me drooling over a barrel of Perique, follow, uh, go to my Facebook page forgot to put the picture up from uh, back in October and uh, I was at the Sutliff Tobacco Factory and they pulled out a barrel of Perique for me they would not let me open the Perique and dive into it it was a sealed barrel they wouldn't open it for me Uh, they were kind enough as I say on the Facebook post to clean up the drool spill on the floor as I was hugging the barrel of Perique alright enough of that babble 
rant time coming up next. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. Eck, I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit FullNoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. FullNoggins.com. Fornoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fornoggins.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Against all my will and all my desire and every bit of my abilities, uh, my daughter is going to be a high school senior next year, and that means college application time. So, we've been getting pamphlets or flyers from colleges from all around the country that want her to come and sign up there. We went to a college fair, and every one of the college brochures that they hand out show the kids all sitting on these lush green campuses, all interacting in classrooms that are beautiful, all looking out over these wonderful dorms and these wonderful campuses with blue skies. Some of these schools were in Minnesota, Wisconsin, downtown Chicago, and Indiana. Why don't they show the campus the way it really looks most of the school year? Buried in snow with gray skies. Why? Because nobody would go there. If everybody went to school based off of the way the campus looks and the weather, we'd all be down in the Caribbean going to some college down there, or we'd be in Florida somewhere going to college. No, instead these campuses that are in places where the weather is terrible most of the time, they're showing pictures that I'm pretty sure the only time the campus looks like that is at the beginning of the semester in the in the fall and the very end of the semester in the spring so now you got all these wonderful places in indiana ohio michigan all these northern states where the campus is usually buried in snow but no of course not every picture that they put out the campuses are beautiful green lush trees sunshine blue skies everything's perfect yeah right you know what why don't you show it the way it really is all right, there's the rant for this show. Hey, hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure and uh, 
leave comments, feedbacks, ratings, reviews, whatever you can. If you want to post a comment, love to hear them on the pipesmagazine.com. Go to the radio show page, post the comment right there. That'd be great. Follow me on Facebook, all that other stuff. Hashtag me if you want. I don't care. But thank you to Mike Butera. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to Celebrity voices are impersonated. What are you people? On dope?